0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 106. And we got down to verse 19 in our last lesson. It's been a good while because we've had various other things going on. Psalm 106 and verse 19. And if you'll notice, verses 19 through 23 shows us something about the sin of idolatry. And verse 19 says, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. This is when they made the golden calf, when Moses was up on the mountain. And they worshipped the golden image, or the molten image, it says here. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They changed the glory of God into a symbol like an ox that eats grass. In fact, this uh, golden calf that they made was really one of the gods of Egypt. And so they brought all of Egypt's idolatry out with them into the wilderness, and they said, well, these be thy gods, O Israel, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They attributed their deliverance to one of Egypt's gods. After they knew that God, by Moses' hand, had brought great judgment upon all the gods of Egypt and upon Pharaoh and all of his uh, army, and it destroyed the army of Pharaoh in the, in the Red Sea when God made it to overflow and drowned them in the sea. And they had been brought all this way by the hand of God, and then they turn around and they worshipped the gods of the, of the world from whence they came. You know, God's people seem to never learn. God has given all kinds of evidence of His presence, His power, and Himself, and yet they turn back. That's why I tried to bring a message this morning on drifting away from God. Because people are prone to wander away from God. And Israel was the same. And they attributed their deliverance to this God that they had made, the calf that they had made. Now then, there's only one image... Jesus is the only image of God that is worthy of worship. He is the image of the invisible God. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, 3, through being the the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, speaking of Christ, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins. Jesus is the one that purged our sins. Sat down on the right, right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1, verse 3, You know, people say, do you believe in a purgatory? Yes, I do. It was the cross of Calvary, and that's the only place. There's not another one. It says, there on the cross, He by Himself purged our sins. And it's not a place that you go to and then have your sins purged, but it was where Jesus purged our sins uh, on the cross. The Bible says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. When we were singing that song, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb, I was thinking of... Three different references about washing in the blood. The one I just quoted in, in, in uh, the Psalm 51 where David prayed for forgiveness. And then Isaiah 118, it says, uh, God says, Come now and let us reason together. Uh, saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white. They shall be like wool. And, so, and then we find in, in the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 1 and verse 5, where Jesus where it's, uh, Jesus said uh, "Under him, or John says concerning Jesus, "Under him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And all through the Bible, we're, we're taught that we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. God's word says that we're not to make any graven image, and that's what they did. But we have the perfect image of God who is in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is God manifest in the flesh. Then in verse 20, notice, "...thus they changed their glory into the sim- similitude of an ox that eateth grass." Verse 21, "...they forget God their Savior, which had uh, done great things in Egypt." They forget God. In uh, the book of Deuteronomy 32, let me read a verse of Scripture for you. Deuteronomy uh, 32, in <clears throat> verse 18 says, "...of the rock that begat thee..." "...the rock refers to, to Christ." And refers to God, uh, their salvation. It says, "...of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee." And he was speaking to Israel. "...of the rock that begat thee." And this is uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 18. So they, they had a tendency to forget. They forgot. Forget God their Savior. This is Psalm uh, 106, verse 21. Just hold your place where we're studying. We'll come back to it each time. "...which had done great things in Egypt." Wondrous works in the land of Ham, this is also equivalent to the land of Egypt, and terrible things by the Red Sea. To forget what God has done is a gross sin. Idolatry is an insult to a spiritual God. They, they were filled with idolatry. In Acts chapter 17, let me read a verse of scripture for you. In the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul on Mars Hill, it says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For I passed by by and beheld your devotions. And if you have a marginal reference for devotions, it says gods that ye worship. I beheld your devotions. Acts 17, verse 23 now. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. And he goes ahead and declares God. He says, "...God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands, as though He had need of anything, as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things, and made of one blood all nations of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, and has determined the time before appointed and the bounds, the boundaries of their habitation." You see, God's in control of everything, and yet people worship idols. And false gods. So back in our Psalm 106 and verse 23. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. Moses stood in the breach or he stood in the gap between God's wrath and Israel in their sins. If you go back and read it in the book of Exodus, I believe it's chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And uh, verse 10 says, Now therefore God uh, had seen the people that they were stiff-necked and they were rebellious and that they had worshipped the calf that they had made and that they had turned away from God. And uh, in verse 10, it says, Now therefore, God says to Moses, Let let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. He says, Moses, just let this this idolatrous nation go. And he says, Moses, I'll make you a great nation. But what happened? And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? He says, these are your people. He stood in the breach. Why does thy wrath... Wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand. He says, Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains? and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them. I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Moses, my servant, stood in in the breach. said, God would have destroyed them. Back in our psalm, 106, verse 23, look at it, at this verse again. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. You know, can you picture yourself as one of God's servants, and picture yourself in the place of Moses? You know what most men would have done? They wouldn't have done what Moses did. Most men would have said, God, if you're fed up with these people and they've gone to worship idols... Uh, go ahead, just put them aside. And God promised to make Moses a great nation. He said, I'll take what you give me. Just let them go. But Moses loved those people and he stood in the breach. He stood in the gap. And this is typical of mediatorship. And this is typical of Christ standing in the breach between man and his sin and God and saying to God the Father, I'm going to die on the cross and provide a, a redemption for them by my blood. And God so loved the world that he permitted this and purposed it. And then Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and men. The man, uh, God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So he stands in the breach between a holy God and a sinful world. Well, should not you and I do some interceding as well? And should not you and I stand in the breach, at least to the extent that we pray for those that have transgressed against God and and pray that they'll be restored. That's our business too, isn't it? You know, most of the time people just say, well, let them go. They brought it on themselves. Well, sure. Everyone brings it on themselves. But that doesn't mean that they're not worth interceding for. Randy and I visit the hospitals and we see things. We see people that brought great harm to themselves through various uh, means, various things. Neglect of the body. Abuse of the body drugs or alcohol, or smoking all their lives, and end up with infant semen, can hardly breathe? And do we blame them? Well, we know they brought it on, but still you, you want them to be uh, free of that suffering and pain, and you want them to be uh, saved, you want them to have a home in heaven, and so you put up with a lot of things. Preachers put up with a lot of things, and they should, we should, because we care about them. And so... Uh, here, Moses, he cared so much about the people that he stood in the breach. And God would have destroyed them because God's judgment is against sin, by the way. And God cannot look upon sin with favor. He looks upon it. says, God is a holy God. He is of pure eyes than to behold iniquity. He, he is a holy God. And so there must be some uh, judging of sin as far as God is concerned before he can forgive. Just like we read in the book of Romans, the Bible says that that Christ died and became the propitiation for our sins, the third chapter. And he says uh, this concerning our uh, that God justifying. He says that God might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's why God can be just in forgiving the sinner is because Christ paid the price. You see, had not Jesus paid the price, God couldn't just say, well, I'll overlook your sins. The price had to be paid. And Jesus paid that price. And therefore, God is just. Because the sins have been punished in the person of our substitute. In the person of our sin bearer. And had they not been punished, you and I would have to suffer the penalty and the punishment. But therefore, God is just in forgiving the us of our sins. He didn't just say, I'm going to overlook your sin. But He had a purpose. He had a reason to overlook our sins and to, and to cover our sins because the, the punishment due to our sins was met in Christ. Okay, let's go on with this. Verse 24. You have it? Psalm 106, verse 24. Yea, they despise the pleasant land and be- they believe not His word. They despise the pleasant land. Isn't that a sad thing? That they despise that which God had. That had given them, they uh, underestimated the value of the promised land. Do you and I sometimes underestimate what God has done for us? God had told them in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, let me read this for you, Deuteronomy chapter 8, about this pleasant land that he was going to take them to in verse uh, 7, for the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, And depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil and olive and honey, oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Then he says, Beware. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. He says, this is a good land. But he says, beware that you forget not. And then it says, uh, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. So he, he, he sounds the warning of forgetfulness of the things of God. You know, when God's people are warned, they have no uh, reason to not accept that warning. When God says, look what I've done for you, I've given you this good land that floweth with milk and honey, uh, a land that's a blessing, a land that you'll uh, eat until you're full, a land full of God's blessings, and He says, then beware, lest you forget. Do you forget where your blessings came from? Our blessings come from the Lord. You know, all through God's Word, God has to give us reminders. Paul says, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He said, I'm calling to your remembrance, not as though you had not known these things, but he says, I want to remind you again before I'm taken out of this tabernacle. He says, the time is coming for my death, Peter in his his epistles. And he says, I want to stir up your pure minds. And he says, not that you don't know all I'm talking about, sometimes... People say, well, preacher, you told me that before. Yes, I need to tell you again. You know why I need to tell you again? Because God says we need to be constantly reminded. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. It says that you may show the Lord's death that you remember and do show the Lord's death till he comes. God's people are so soon to forget. And so he gives us these reminders. Look at this in verse uh, 25. But murmured in their tents and hearkened not to the voice of the Lord. They murmured. They murmured against God. They murmured in their tents. The unbelief that they had led to rebellion. You know, if if you do not believe God, then you rebel against God. But if you believe truly and you want to obey. But their unbelief led to rebellion against God. Someone says, yeah, I know God said that, but I don't want to do it. Well, that's rebellion. And we have a whole world that's rebelling against God. We have people on every hand that are rebelling against God. I had people call me this week about certain things. and promised to be in Sunday school this morning because of a real critical situation. And I said, if you come, you're taught the Word, this will help answer some of your problems. But you know, there's no quick fix. That's what people want. You know, that if you think you can come to Sunday school or church about a couple of times and heal all the and fix all everything for the next 10 years, that's not going to work that way. You have to constantly and be consistently taught and accept and be guided by the Word of God. It's not just a one-time thing or a simple thing. It takes a lifetime to enter into the fullness of saying, God, whatever you've said, uh, we need to follow it and be guided by your Word and your counsel. So, if you as I said this morning, if you'll Attend, be in church. Somebody didn't listen, did they? But be in church. Some of you did. Thank the Lord for that. But if you want to be guided, you have to hear what the gu- where, where the instructions come from. Someone says, well, I stayed at home and read the Bible. I kind of doubt that. Most of the people that are staying home tonight are not reading the Bible. And I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying that they just mo- most likely are just watching TV or doing other things. And there's some, maybe some reading a few verses of Scripture. I'm not saying that. But on the other hand, you need the teaching and preaching of God's word, and this is the place to get it. You come to God's house, and that's what it's for. That's what we major in. That's what we want you to do. The church has that purpose. All the other, a lot of activities that people like to have in churches are not spirit, uh, spiritual oriented. They're not, uh, they're not geared to the spiritual ends that people need. People want to bring in games and this and that and the other and all kinds of social doings. The church is not made for that. You go back and look at the apostles. They didn't say, come down to church now. We're going to have this kind of a social gathering and we're going to have all this entertainment. They didn't do that. When Paul appeared to the people, it says he preached the word. They came together to break bread and Paul preached the word until midnight. And so we find that they were uh, consistently and, and continuously preaching and teaching the word of God. Okay, let's go on this. It says in verse 25, But murmured in their tents, and hearkened not to the voice of the Lord. They did not listen. They would not obey. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal-peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Baal-peor. Sin brought ruin upon them, both in the wilderness and in the land. It says they look at that verse again. They ate the sacrifices of the dead. The dead the dead spoken of here are the idol gods. It's it's the same thing as worshiping the dead and sacrificing to, to the dead. When you sacrifice to an idol, it's a dead piece of stone or wood or whatever anything that is not the Almighty and the true and living God is dead. You know, the nations of this world worship dead gods. The only professed living God in the whole of the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches the Buddha God is dead. All the uh, Mohammedan uh, Mohammed God is dead. All of the uh, gods of various nations of the world, they, don't, they claim to have a leader that lived and died. But they don't claim their head, the head of their religion is dead. We have a living head. He's up in heaven. He rose from the dead, sent it back to the right hand of God. And therefore, we worship the living God. And He hears and answers our prayers and He knows what's going on on this earth. He has full contemplation and understanding. He's, he knows all things. He is everywhere present. The psalmist said, Though I am uh, flee to the uttermost part of the earth, though I make my bed in hell, though I go to the depths of the sea, thou art there, God's presence. says, there He is. So it says here, they joined themselves to Baalpeor and ate the sacrifice of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague broke in upon them. If you go back and you read in Numbers chapter 25, you'll find where they were committing idolatry and they were uh, committing uh, fornication and, and sensual worship and practices and God had to judge them. And he, <laughs> if you read the story, and I won't read it because it's pretty graphic, In Numbers 25, verse 7, it says, Then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. You go back and read the story, and you'll find there was a pretty cruel execution of what was going on. But I'll tell you, when you read it, you'll know that God doesn't play around with sin. And then it says in verse 31, And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all the generations, all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife. They angered God, so that it went... Ill with Moses for their sakes. What they do at the waters of strife? You look in the book of Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. You'll see what happened. Remember, there was in verse 7, the Lord spake unto Moses. Well, verse 5 says, Neither is there any water to drink. They were complaining. Verse uh, 8, 7 says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather the assembly together. Thou and Aaron, thy brother, and speak unto, he says, speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses obeyed God, didn't he? And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock? And look, what had God told him to do? Moses, God told Moses to speak to the rock. Remember before, he told him to smite the rock the first time. And now he says, speak to the rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. Moses, was provoked to anger, wasn't he? And he smote the rock because of their insistence upon and their rebellion against God. And the water came out abundantly. God still gave them the blessing. And the congregation drank and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. In other words, by speaking to the rock, If you would have done this, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Moses, because of this anger that he showed, and they provoked him to anger, was not permitted to lead the children of Israel into Canaan. He didn't go into Canaan's land. The Lord put him to sleep in the wilderness, and he didn't get to cross over. Look back in our psalm. Psalm 106, verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes... Because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Can you imagine God's leaders being provoked to speak unadvisedly with their lips? They can be. But that's not the, the people that cause you. Well, it especially applies to leaders, preachers, Brother Randy and I, and Brother Nichols, and some of the deacons, some of the men, and leaders in the church, and various others. When people provoke you to anger, it's your responsibility and mine not to let it get the best of us so that we speak unadvisedly with our lips. See, that's what happened to Moses. Wasn't he? he let the people get the best of it. And he said, you rebels. And they had a right to be called that probably because they were rebels. And they were murmuring against God and complaining about everything that took place. And yet, that did not excuse Moses for what he did. So you and I have to learn to control our words, and not speak unadvisedly with our lips, regardless of what people do. The Bible tells us that he that can control his spirit is mightier than he that, that can take a city. And so we have to learn to do that. I don't say it's an easy task, but we have to learn to do that. And it says in verse 34, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. They learned the works and the ways of the heathen gods and the heathen nations round about them, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. God said they would be thorns in their sides, didn't it? They provoked Moses to lose his patience and they, the sin of omission. God says, don't do these certain things, and they did it. You know, the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. The danger of compromise... They compromise with these heathen gods and these heathen nations. You can read it in the book of Judges. Let me read it for you. Look, turn to the book of Judges if you have just a moment. Chapter 1, verse 21. says, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Now see, God told them to drive them out. Look at this. Judges, chapter 1, verse 21. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Drop down to verse 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshea. Drop down to verse 28. It came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Verse 29. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun, verse 30, drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahal. Nahalah. But the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Verse 31. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echol. And down in verse 33. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Bethshemesh. You see? Someone says, well, what difference does it make? Look in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league. Look, God said, And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land, ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? God hadn't forgotten what he told him to do. Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. You see, when God's people do not obey Him, they don't realize that they're bringing trouble into their own family or courts. Disobedience to God and failing to drive out... What what do you say? Let's try to put it in perspective. We're to drive out all the acts or all the... uh, all the things in our lives that are not to be accepted by the Lord. We're to start cleaning house as far as our own spiritual life is concerned. All the ites were there by imposition. They, they did not belong there. And God says, I'm going to give you this land that I promised to you. But they were all there. We've got things in our hearts and in our lives that need to be driven out. All of these kings need to be destroyed. All of these various people have to be put out of our lives. And we're talking about the the sins of our lives and the things that would hinder us fully obeying God. It says in verse 36, back in our text, and we'll try to hurry. It says, And they served their idols and were a snare unto them, and, yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils. When sin masters the heart, children and innocent people suffer. You read in Jeremiah 19, verse 5. Let me read this for you. Jeremiah 19, verse 5. Let's read 4 and 5. Last part of verse 4 says, They have filled this place with the blood of innocence. It says, They have built also high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. God says, This never was in my mind that they should make such sacrifices. So the innocent suffer. Remember this morning when we mentioned David? And David's sending Uriah to the forefront of the battle. And it says Uriah was dead, but others of, of David's servants were dead too. And of course, Uriah himself was innocent too. But we're just saying that when one one is trying to get even with someone else, not only the person they've got the, the, the arrow pointing to suffers, but others round about suffer as well. You see, you do not live an isolated life. You say, well, it doesn't affect anyone but me. That's not true. It affects you, it affects others, it affects others. And we need to remember that. Back in our text, it says, "...they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood." That's what we read in Jeremiah. "...even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions." Therefore was wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. God became angry with his own people. Now we can see then why the Lord is against false religions. Wickedness and cruelty go hand in hand. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 2, When the, when the wicked rule, bareth rule, the people mourn. And that's true in this, in this life and in this world. And the Lord can be provoked to wrath. And by the way, when you begin to read with verse uh, 41, you'll find that the Lord often uses the enemy to bring his people under subjection. Sometimes we wonder why that we're defeated. And the world seems to triumph because maybe we have something coming to us that needs to be corrected. Have you ever thought why? It seems like sometimes the world has the victory over you. Do you ever question that? Look what it says. It says, He gave them, verse 41, You see, God's Word has some good direction, if we'll follow it. It says, and He gave them into the hand of the heathen. Who did? God did. He said, I've got to teach my people a lesson some way, and they won't learn any other way. So it says, He gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. And it says, their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. So the Lord often uses the enemy to bring His people under subjection. It says in verse forty three many times did he deliver them. repeated deliverances did not have lasting results. You read the book of judges and God sent a deliverer when they were oppressed, and then he turned right around and they and they would be in oppression again, because they would sin against God, and they'd worship the idols of the nations round about them, and God, and they'd start crying to God, and they'd cry out to God, and God would send them another li- a deliverer. That's what the book of Judges is all about: deliverers, one right after the other. They, they would, they would. It, it's a pattern that just worked all the way through the book of Judges. The people would worship the idols of these heathen, uh, these different idols in the land, and then they would be oppressed by them, and then they would cry out to God. And after they cried out to God, God would send a Gideon or a, or a Samson or a one of the others, and you'd go back and read the whole story of them in the book of Judges. And then after it was over, they'd go right back into the same thing. That's a sad repeat, isn't it? To not listen. It says, "...many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity." In verse 44, look at this. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. He regarded. God was merciful. And he remembered them uh, for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. God will not forget his word. In spite of what they did, God's mercy was manifested and his mercy was based upon the fact that he had made a covenant with them. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. You can go back and read the story, and you'll find that even those that carried them captive had pity on them because God made them to have pity on them. Look at old Joseph down there in in Egypt. What happened to him? He was sold into slavery, and yet God was with him, and God gave him favor and was merciful and helped him all through. Well, God shows his pity and his mercy and his grace to us. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. It says in verse 47, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. The closing prayer, isn't it? Then it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. That's the way it started. started with a hallelujah, and it ends with a hallelujah. The note of praise. By the way, in Psalm 41, verse 13, you have these same words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. We'll pick up with Psalm 107 in our next lesson. I trust there's been some things that have been come through that will help us uh, in our future.